Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Good evening. This is Off the Record. And tonight we are talking all about the winter solstice. Um, I'm your host this evening, Gavin McGough, and we're discussing uh, different uh, spiritual celebrations around the world as well as locally here in Telluride. Uh, please call in at 970-728-4333 to share your own winter festival traditions, whatever those may be. And now uh, I'd love to introduce our guests who are joining me in studio. We have Melissa Turn, who uh, has a day job with Telluride Theater, but is a professional thinker on all things woo-woo. Did I say that about right? Is that a good intro for you? (laughs) I'll take it. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Uh, I also have Pat Bailey joining me, who is the pastor at Christ Church um, and has studied comparative religion in his past, as well as served um, as a chaplain in the U.S. Army. So has done lots of spiritual thought um, in your own history there. Is that right, Pat? Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. And we also have uh, Colin Houdon from uh, right down the street. He is the proprietor of the Mountain Gate Tea House and Living at Teas. Um, He's also an herbalist um, and a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine. Um, How's that for you, Colin? Is that a good intro? I'll do it. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you all for joining me tonight. Um, And again, listeners, give us a call with your own. We would love to hear about your own traditions. But I guess starting off, I would love to um, poll my guests. How do you all um, observe and celebrate the solstice um, or even just more generally this kind of winter time, this period um, of deep darkness that we're in? How do you think about that? Uh, what sort of rituals do you have that help you mark this? Um, yeah, whoever wants to go first, just dive right in. Lots silence. of slow dive. Lots of silence <laughs> is the way that <laughs> we practice that. I mean, actually, I, I will say that I think this is probably um, the perfect moment to be having a, a moment of silence. That's something that I really try to do, um, you know, the I like that the word solstice means the sun stands still. I learned that today. Yeah. So standing still, I think, is not something that I'm particularly um, great at. And so I guess this time of year, I like to sort of use it to take a pause and think about the momentum going forward and, and what got me to this point. So, yeah, silence. <laughs> well, we have a uh, you know Christmas uh, for <laughs> for Christian folks, and um, you know if you look at it from the outside, it it almost looks like a uh, festival of lights um, and only light. <laughs> you know, we light the candles and we do that sort of thing, Christmas trees and things like that. Um, but that's really only half uh, of the story. 
um, you know, it really is uh, acknowledging also the darkness and the importance of that kind of season for our souls. Uh, our mystics, I brought St. John of the Cross uh, with me <laughs> tonight, but the mystics talk about often refer to the darkness. It's the darkness where we come to terms with our realities and come to terms with that, that stillness and that mm. silence that allows us to, to uh, be present to that. So Christmas actually comes after four weeks of Advent, and Advent is one of those purple seasons like Lent in the Christian church. Where we're supposed to be reflective. We're supposed to be, you know, uh, contemplating uh, our life and, uh, and our death and all those kinds of things. Um, and so the light uh, doesn't come without the darkness, and the light is truly wed to the darkness. It's not like oh, it should be all light. And I guess for some Christians that is what it is. It's, it's got to all be light, you know, it's all got to all be light without um, allowing the great richness of our tradition to also talk to us about the darkness. Mm. Yeah, so we, in traditional Chinese medicine, its roots are in Taoist ideas, and we work a lot with the five elements. And so we're transitioning from the metal element into the water element. And you can think symbolically about metal like the threshing tool that's used in the harvest for separating the wheat from the chaff, um, or all of the tools that we use for, you know, knives, uh, for scaling a fish or cutting away the fat. It's a lot about uh, the harvest season, the autumn, and uh, our relationship to attachment and a relationship to what's essential. And also this term precious metals, right? What is the value or the meaning of something and what kind of value do we give to things. So in the autumn, uh, the encouragement from kind of a Taoist perspective, but you find it in a lot of different uh, wisdom traditions, is to really reflect on where you find value in your life, what's valuable to you, why, what are you attached to, what can you let go of, and um, that's a deep exploration. There's a lot there to, to talk about, but as we transition from metal to water, Water really, really represents, I like this image of being out in a boat way out in the ocean and looking into the infinite depths of the ocean and the fear that arises when you think about jumping in. And I ask people, well, what are you afraid of? What they're afraid of is not knowing what's down there. So it's actually not the fear of knowing, it's the fear of not knowing. So a lot of the winter time is about going into your fear, having let go of attachments in the autumn, and looking at your fear because all of our wisdom really emerges out of, out of our uh, looking into our fear deeply. So um, the way we kind of mark that transition is to really reflect on what is it that we're most afraid of letting go of and what's our relationship to our attachments. And, you know, symbolically, the winter represents the death, or, or the solstice really represents the death, the shortest time of the year, the time of great darkness, and uh, our relationship to knowledge and, and wisdom. So, you know, I think um, real knowledge is the recognition of how much we don't know, you know. Mm. Uh, that's where our wisdom begins to emerge from there. So this time of year is about this inward movement, uh, setting aside time for a real meditation practice and introspection and self-inquiry yeah i'm um i mean starting with the idea of of stillness and silence and moving on to that of um fear and and some of my reading about the solstice in different traditions around the world today i came across a lot of 
uh, themes in celebrations all around the world that had to do with uh, kind of folklore of evil that was associated with um, the night and the length of the darkness at this time of year. And um, also just a recognition of struggle. I think that kind of starting out at the at this moment in wintertime, um, it's at once the darkest moment. So there's, there's hope involved in the return of light and the concept of rebirth, the lengthening day, which begins so soon. Um, but I think that that also for in many cultures, you know, the next months are the hardest because that's, you know, the furthest from the time of harvest, the coldest. Um, so kind of the, the length of the night in the darkness is associated, um, with, you know, in different cultures, uh, an idea of danger in the air and a need to kind of come around, um, the light that is, is, uh, possible and the light that is remaining. Um, so that's, that's definitely, uh, you know, a big theme. Um, I was interested to see that arise here. Do you all have, um, memories of a specific, uh, or even plans for a specific way of marking, um, the solstice this year. I mean, of course, Christmas comes with all sorts of connotations and, and practices, but um, anything specific to you all? Um, something that has always been really fascinating to me about this time of year is how uh, I feel like human beings at this moment sort of, um, they're doing things like the opposite of what nature is doing at this time. Like animals are being very still. They're going inward. They're being quiet. Um, you know, leaves are falling off the trees. Things are hibernating. Things are staying close to themselves and, and taking care. And although we do have this sort of cultural feeling of um, togetherness, it is about being busy and being... Um, you know, joyful, and it sort of feels at times like it is the opposite. So I like to sort of infuse my excited holiday time with some moments where I'm feeling like maybe connecting more with nature. So we put special things out on the trees for the birds to eat, um, but nothing that hopefully the bears will like, although they're hopefully sleeping. I'm learning. I'm like a new transplant <laughs> from California, so like learning. Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel about the cold? I love the cold. I grew up in the Midwest and then was on the East Coast, so the cold is not scary to me. And actually, having the um, having the ability to experience the seasons now has been really magical. So it's a nice. It's nice. Um, but yeah, I think having time. You know, I like to go sit by the river. I like to go like be by the water and see how it's changing, um, and just let that kind of inform myself too, so that I don't get too mm. caught up in the holiday yeah. spiral. <laughs> <laughs> I I do think about like the difficulty of just being outside, just like walking a couple blocks is it's very hard. <laughs> um, and something I have heard is that. 
like there are certain areas where while where we're now asked you know in public lands to not be in that area during winter because even disrupting like um wildlife will cause unnecessary movement and stress mm. which can actually be a danger to um you know certain animals in times of uh scarce food um yeah so i think about that as well it's interesting the men- the mention of like the the fear coming around this time too and i think that there is a a greater difficulty in being outside um being a part of nature just walking through town can be a challenge at times but it's interesting to me i think there's this like opportunity to uh invite like the surrender back into it like this is all happening we are all part of it and to sort of like give over to it and and be in concert with it instead of in opposition yes i think a lot about um the word abandonment and that just like letting letting some things go and um, letting fear and lack be something that um, is guiding and productive at, at certain moments. Well, darkness brings uh, mystery, right? I mean, you can't see everything. You know, you don't feel safe necessarily. Um, you know, it, it, it forces us to kind of encounter mystery. I like what Colin said about the not knowing. There's a, one of the great English uh, spiritual classics is the cloud of unknowing. And it's all about not getting this great revelation or this great light, but being willing to stand before the mystery and just allow it to be present, ourselves to be present to us. And I think that out of that also comes all the the boogeyman stories and the, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But of course, that's, if we're kind of uh, opening our, um, you know, psychic or, uh, you know, self, our mental self to um, to mystery, then yeah, we're going to get a few monsters in there, but the uh, monsters are not in our closets. They're up, <laughs> they're up here, you know. But we have to c- confront them. We have to be willing to meet them and, and deal with the shadow aspects of our personality and our lives and all those different kind of things. So yeah, that's... Uh, uh, that's scary, and of course, we typically, yeah, do just buy things. <laughs> so that makes us feel better. <laughs> just dissolve the mystery, you know, get rid of the mystery. But it really is, if we do, in my mind, if we're doing this season justice in the church, we're not explaining everything and revealing everything and get, and getting turning the lights on. We're encouraging people to stand in the mystery. They've said everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a. This is a, a terrible paraphrase, but Socrates says something like, "True knowledge is knowing that we know nothing, or knowing that I know nothing." And we don't really create much space for that in modern times because uh, we're so obsessively uh, outcome oriented, yeah. and so we're always moving towards you know, a deadline that doesn't exist. It's all a construct, right? And so I think on the solstice specifically, there's eight important days uh, in this tradition that I I work with the most um, that they would either say kind of the veil is thin or um, there are moments where the macrocosm of nature is particularly um, expressive, I guess you could say, or we can connect with it in a particular way. And so the idea is to set time aside for those days that's really um, 
intended to mimic the season in this moment, these transitional moments. So the solstice, because it is kind of the descent, you know, the autumn, right? The fall is the falling into winter. And so um, what I try to do on these eight days is just not schedule anything, which is really hard to do. You know, I always say to people, try one day a month to live without a schedule. And, and if you actually do that, you know, you don't wake up with any schedule whatsoever, you begin to see how sort of mechanical the way we live is in that we habituate the, the practice of um, scheduling every second and every moment of our lives. And if we do that, where is the spaciousness within which any of the mystery can even enter? Mm. You know, there's yeah, no right. space for it. Yeah. So people always ask for, say, guidance or something like that. And then they're walking down the street and they feel that sort of inner tug to go into that shop or talk to that person. Oh, don't have time for that. I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere. I got something to do. And all those instances might be this guidance that you're looking for going, hello, I'm trying to get through to you, right? So so on these days of the year, I, I just try to stay really quiet. You know, I keep the lights kind of low in my house. I just do the minimal activity and uh, create space for meditation and, and um you know, just spaciousness itself. So like you mentioned, the trees fall in the autumn and there's this kind of ethereal cathedral light in the fall, right? We all know about this autumnal light. And um, this morning it was incredible. If you looked outside early this morning as the sun was coming up over the mountains at the end of the valley, there was kind of like a filter of snow, but then this extraordinary light coming over the edge of the mountains. And if I got up and was too busy to take a moment for that uh, then I then you wouldn't take it in and I think this conversational nature of reality which uh, the poet David White talks about this a lot unless we create space for the conversational nature of reality to talk to us then we're not going to hear it you know so mm-hmm. so I try to just do nothing on that day actually it's it's uh, since I've come to Telluride I've felt that this is a very I mean, despite our connection to nature or the proximity of it, it's an extremely busy and scheduled place to live. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are so many um, demands on time and like opportunities to have a demand on time. Um, And I came from college, (laughs) which (laughs) famously is like the most scheduled place in the world. But... um, yeah, no, I, it, like this summer it was hard to even find time to cook a meal or something. Um, so it's, you know, the darkness provides uh, an excuse to have, have moments um, of spaciousness as well. Yeah, I like that. Let's look like that every other day. What, how about that? Sure, <laughs> I love that. Um, well, I would love to play a song here. Um, we can try one of these just because it's a cool tradition that we can share and it's uh, even more time specific than the solstice um, which is December 21st here um, the, as you said sol- sol- solstice the root of it is um, sun, sol and sistere in Latin which means to stand still um, and because at this time of year, there's such an imperceptible change in the angle of the sun, you know, it really isn't changing so much, um, this close to the shortest day. Um, I read that 
they the Latin um, name for it just meant, oh, the sun is standing still. It's not moving at this time. Um, and there was some confusion about which day the actual solstice was because it was so hard to tell if the sun was moving. And they used to think it was on the 13th. And the 13th is today. And this is the root of um, St. Lucia's Day, which is a Christian holiday in Scandinavia. Um that has roots in uh, pagan celebrations. Okay, that's my discourse on that part of this celebration, which is happening tonight in Scandinavia, or uh, happened earlier with the time difference, um, is the singing of the St. Lucia song. So here uh, is some of that, and we'll be back um, in a bit. So stick around. That was St. Lucia. Um, we'll have some more music later. We also have a poem from our very own San Miguel County Poet Laureate, Joanna Spindler, which uh, she is busy tonight at an event at the library. Um, but she offered it. It's a solstice poem that she wrote, so we'll play that pretty soon as well. And, um, yeah, during the break, we were actually talking about uh, St. Bridget, which I know nothing about, um, but... <laughs> Pat said she was a pagan saint. Is that correct? Well, a pagan, a pagan uh, goddess, considered a goddess, and was Christianized as part of the 
you know, all of that. And, uh, you know, Celtic uh, uh, spirituality and Christianity that was pre prevalent in uh, Ireland and other places were very nature-oriented and very, um, you know, trying to blend different kinds of, of traditions, yeah. And, of course, the Druids. <laughs> and um, how do you think about the way that... Uh, kind of many Christian celebrations are sort of based in um, those Northern European pagan traditions, or anyway, Christian celebrations as we practice them today. Do you have any um, knowledge about that? Well, it almost seems like two different poles. One is the Christian church trying to Christianize that that whole tradition and taking over and dominating that uh, that history and that tradition. And the other part is the open conversation between those traditions that then enrich enrich both. And there's history of both of those things happening, especially in places like Ireland. Ireland seemed to have a um, kind of a ship route, shipping route that came from the east, so they got much more of the eastern kind of influence mm -hmm. than a lot of, uh, like, France and Italy and places like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And less authoritarian, I think. Although that wasn't always true in Ireland, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and where are you from originally? Uh, well, my name is Patrick Nixon Bailey. Um, got a little bit of Irish. In there. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. Seventy-six uh, percent Irish, even though my people have been here for generations. But um, yeah, but I'm from Atlanta originally, and uh, my family was from North Carolina mountains and and Atlanta and all of that. But have lived all over the world. Um, will you? Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about your experience as a chaplain in the army and what that was like? Oh, hell no. Um, <laughs> you're not going to bring out the trauma now, are you, Gavin? <laughs> well, I didn't know. I wasn't, I wasn't sure what it was like to be a spiritual guide for, for well, a military. I'll be very brief. It's simply that the main role of a chaplain in the military is to make sure everybody has... Um, access to their religious practice no matter what it is. So I've helped Wiccans, I've helped Muslims, I've helped all different kind of people make sure that they had what they needed to be able to worship including I was in Iraq for 15 months and uh, I actually, it was kind of strange the group before me had a Wiccan uh, group that met and they had built a... And for uh, listeners who don't know, yeah. will you will you just tell us a little bit about the Wiccans? Or? Oh, geez. Um... <laughs> I don't want to dominate this, but the, the, the Wiccans are um, a nature relig religion, a neo-pagan uh, kind of uh, uh, religion. Um, they believe in the forces of nature having impinging upon us and uh, what we do and the ability to, in, to some degree, manipulate uh, the, the physical world in order to uh, serve them or to um, bring them something that they need. Um, and so there's all kinds of ritual and different things. And there were a lot of folks in the service that were, um, you know, really on board with this. Um, and it was great. And I helped, uh, again, make sure that they had a place to worship and what they needed and that they had respect, too, that they, they weren't, you know, bothered and all. So I had a, there was actually a Wiccan uh, temple set up on my, the Ford operating base that I was in in Iraq. It was out in the boondocks, out in the, you know, where there wasn't much stuff. They'd put up these T walls, which are cement walls, into a circle, had a maypole in the middle, and they held services out there. And it struck me as so interesting that I was a Presbyterian minister in charge of a Wiccan temple in the middle of, of Iraq. Um, kind of strange, you don't get that kind of 
situation very often. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's to support everybody and to, um, you know, to do that. Yeah. At least that's the way I saw it. Some of them didn't. <laughs> Some of them really wanted to just convert souls, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, Melissa, have you ever uh, been part of, uh, like, an organized spiritual practice? Or have you always found your own way of, mm. of um, observing uh, spirituality and seasonal transition? Sure. Um, I, well, I was raised Catholic, Midwestern Catholic. I have five brothers and two sisters that'll tell you of a big Catholic family. <laughs> um, and, uh, but my grandmother was, is, or was Czech. And she had a very deep connection to um, her, her own spirituality, which included uh, Catholicism, but also included um, a lot of respect and, and reverence for nature. Having grown up in the Czech Republic, it's a very mystical, very spiritual, very, um, you know, lots of mystery there and so that was a big part of her life and something that she and I shared so it was it's interesting because I kind of experienced a very um, a very traditional religious upbringing right alongside a very non-traditional <laughs> religious upbringing so hmm. I think that seats me where I am today do you feel like your um, siblings responded differently or all of you responded in your own ways? No, I would definitely say. I mean, my, if all of my siblings are engineers, are you a little yeah. woo woo? And I am, <laughs> so I'm not, and I'm the oldest. Uh -huh. So I feel like either they were like, "That's too weird." The rest of these kids need to be really like hardcore, <laughs> or or I don't know. I had, but I did have. Um, a, I was the closest with my grandmother, and I really, you know, I think that that relationship really informed so many things about me and you know it's uh m the rest of my siblings didn't have sadly they didn't have the opportunity to have that deep of relationship with her and so you know i don't i don't know but we're i mean we're all we're all a little woo woo it's just a spectrum i guess yeah <laughs> and colin how did you come to um chinese medicine hmm I'm going to try to keep the short version here available. No, I mean, take us through your spiritual uh, background. I mean, so, so you know, I, my parents always give me a hard time when they go, because I've lived in ashrams and Zen Buddhist centers uh, for years at a time, at different times of my life. And my parents always go, how in God's name do we end up with a kid so interested in Taoist and Zen Buddhist studies and things? And I said, well, because you sent me to Jesuit schools for high school uh, and college, so... <clears throat> It's sort of uh, not definitely not an inevitability, but uh, the kind of open-minded, cross-cultural, and sort of um, you know the idea of uh, skepticism and the importance of inquiry are really central to the Jesuit approach to a religious life. And so I, I minored in Asian religious studies in college, and then through my twenties was really into um, Tai Chi and Qigong and martial arts and things and meditation and. Um, realized in, at some point in my late 20s you could actually go and study something that somehow tied all that together to be in service to people uh, in a real world way 
meaning through acupuncture and herbalism and dietetics and cupping and moxibustion and meditation and all this. So when I realized I could make a living, um, you know, with the practices that I'd spent the 15 years prior kind of studying, I went back to school in my late 20s and studied uh, biomedical science alongside a degree in Chinese medicine. And so for me, it was a byproduct of being really idealistic through my 20s and wanting to do something to be of service and to help people, uh, but not really knowing what that would look like. Or not, not, you know, it's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to actually um, have something that's sort of actionable. Or, um, and so I went back to school when I was around 29, 30, and it took seven years. It was a long education, so... Um, so yeah, that's the that's the short version, believe it or not. How do you think about um, uh, when when you're doing, uh, or how do you think about the way that a medical treatment or treatment of a medical issue and kind of a sp- your role as a more spiritual um, guide? How do those intertwine and, and do they connect? Yeah, I mean, the the word that pops to mind as you're asking that is practice. Because, you know, even if you're a Western doctor, uh, you still refer to it as your practice, you know, my practice. Where else do we see that word, right? Your yoga practice, your meditation practice, right? So I think by uh, this term, practice denotes something that you return to consistently, that you're cultivating um, consistency and refinement, I would say. Uh, and that would mean different things in a practice. But... Um, so I would I treat medicine as a practice in that it's partially about returning to that core or the original intention, which again was to be of service to others. Uh, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in all sorts of other things, but if one can stay true to the essence of what they're doing, then uh, I think it's imbued with a different quality. And that quality, I think, is what you're talking about in terms of spirituality which is, why are you doing what you're doing? Mm. Um, and it's a question that we don't ask ourselves enough. You know, it's a hard question to answer. Why, why am I here? <laughs> what am I doing with this life, you know? Yeah, I was... Um, I think that there's uh, kind of a lot of prior generations were, were raised in specific faith traditions it had a very specific shape and a place where that was practiced and you know structures and rules like that um but i think as it's interesting of for me to note as a young person how um more and more so as people are moving away from organized religions towards their own sense of um, faith and spirituality, their own practices around that thing. There are now people who oftentimes are growing up without any sort of um, frame of reference. Like I never really went to a certain church, so I didn't even really have something to um, kind of like move away from or stray from or consider as a ground zero. And I was thinking about spirituality Um, and I kind of, I feel like I saw uh, distinct differences in my classmates, some of whom came, you know, from a strictly Catholic background and, you know, left that for X, Y reason or, or stuck with it or whatever. Um, so it's just, uh, it's interesting to think about how, um, 
you know, different practices can emerge or independent practices can emerge from something that is grounded in um, community. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Do you guys think about, um, do you all think about community in um, kind of your own approach to the solstice? How do you think about that topic? Mm. You know, I think we've, I think we've approached the issue largely through kind of solitude, but um, you know, is this not a time of year for community or? <laughs> no, actually, I think it is. And, you know, a lot of people have family visiting them as well. We just did our uh, children's Christmas pageant um, last Sunday. It was a scream. <laughs> and uh, we, had, we had tigers and bears and all kinds of things. But because um, um, it's not about being accurate, right? It's, <laughs> the kids had a great time. Um, so, yeah, it is. Uh, f- for us... It's just simply, we, we have a community of, of, uh, of various people. Um, we don't teach that you have to believe this or you have to conform to this in order to be part of this community. And so we get a lot of people who have kind of given up on Christianity and religion uh, because they know that they can be genuine. They can ask questions. We try to provide safe space for the conversation. Um, and so we get people from all kinds of different um, uh, spiritual backgrounds, a lot of folks with Buddhist uh, backgrounds uh, with us as well. So, um, so being a community like that, um, I think it, we can celebrate together rather than it being this thing you dash in for and dash out because you feel religiously obligated to do this particular thing at this particular time of year. So we just gather um, not around that, um, but around the uh, the spirit of Christ, not just the you know, some belief or some law or something like that, uh, but believing that that is a spirit uh, that is generous and open and and is reflected in so many other religions besides besides our own as well. So when you do it like that, it's a great gathering of community, and community is what we more than anything probably give to one another. I also think about um, tea ceremonies without being an expert at all in them or haven't done many of them. You know, it feels like it can be a very um, intimate way of being with other people uh, in silence, kind of. Um, and there's a sense of uh, gathering that comes with that as well. Yeah. We do, uh, we actually have a group of, uh, for Buddhist uh, um, meditation on Tuesday nights, they're meeting right now. Um, that meets in our in our church, and some of our people participate, and the AA groups participate, and that sort of thing. So we've always been open to those kind of um, expressions, and certainly practices. I mean, that's where it's at. Yeah. All right. Um, on that note, let's hear uh, a solstice poem from Joanna Spindler, who is our San Miguel poet laureate. Um, We'll be back in a few. Feel free to call us, listeners, at uh, 970-728-4333 if you want to join the conversation. Um, And here is uh, Joanna Spinner. This is called Incantation for an Orbit, and it's a poem for solstice. Final moon slice of the year shines here. Time has come, the year grown round. So summarize the seasons past, 
If spring grew thin, if summer golden, how the fall blew by. Descends the year quite of a sudden into ripeness, sweeten like a pumpkin. Tally further, rise a moon, soul to earth and soul sky high, the groundness and the soaring like a dance. Follow back your creek bed through the year, the wanderings and reckonings, the twists and turns and where you steadfast flowed, the dry times and the floodings. As you flow, the imbrications leave a track of what transpired. Good matters not, nor ill, just whether in your core of being you grew deeper. Did new roots grow? Did you expand a nod and bow to these parts of your being? No need to parse each seed that dropped. This isn't any carry reckoning. For what amounts is this? So here you are, the year gone by. A layer grown of cambium and wisdom, and in your heartwood something stronger. Juvenate another orbit, this new year and ancient sun. Cold it creaks and warm it rises. Bees, they know the spring will come. You've had your moment looking backward. Now's the time to burrow down, breathe deep again, and turn, turn, turn. This is called I sing of a night in Bethlehem, a night as bright as dawn. I sing of that night in Bethlehem, the night the Word was born. The skies are glowing gaily, the earth in white is dressed. See Jesus in his cradle, Drink deep in his mother's breast. And there, on a lonely hillside, the shepherds bow down in fear when the heavens open brightly and God's message rings out so clear. Glory now to the Father in all the heavens high and peace to his friends on earth below is all the angels cry. Tonic on vrai 
That was Joanna Spindler reading a poem followed by the Chieftains, um, the Little Bells of Dublin. And um, I'm afraid I interrupted a conversation by um, bringing the uh, volume back up, but that's all right. That's our job. Um, and we are discussing the solstice this evening. I uh, apparently have two um, Los Angeles expats. <laughs> Um, in the room and we were wondering about how kind of being in a different place changes in observance um, of the solstice or a lack of seasons um, and certainly uh, this is something observed around the world um, and throughout time but yeah how do, how do they practice the solstice in uh, Los Angeles? <laughs> <laughs> well there's certainly no shortage of, of solstice events happening in Los Angeles. I will tell you that. I'm sure there is something for everyone. Um, but I, I was just saying before that for me, I'm only speaking for myself here, but the, because of the lack of actual physical season, seasonal changing and weather of any kind, um, any sort of practices around this time of year start to feel like really performative, which you would think I would enjoy since I work in theater. But from a personal perspective that I think I started to feel sort of the lack of connection with nature and the seasons there. And just, it was, you know, just really challenging to experience a natural passage of time and then throw the whole like, everyone is staying in their house because of COVID thing. And you were like, has a day changed? So yeah. it's really just, um, this is my second winter here. I love it. While other people are like bemoaning, digging their car out. I'm like, oh, how lucky to get to, to like be in the snow. Um, my car is parked on a Wednesday street. So, so well, that's going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> 
You should make me dig it out for you since yeah, I just said I love it. But yeah, <laughs> I won't be doing that. I, I will do it in solitude with, with uh, <laughs> very slowly. Yeah. In the dark. Imagine, in the dark. Me, imagine, yes. me, imagine me loving it. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm from New Hampshire and that is certainly a seasonal place. Um, so a huge part of my upbringing and, and traditions and ways of marking time and um, thinking about spirituality, we're all connected with that. And, and as I grew older, I had all these problems with um, just things not being exactly the way that I expected them to be in terms of like warmth and rain instead of snow. Um, and I, you know, I don't know that in the span of uh, 15 years living in a place if climate change was really being a part of that, if it was a coincidence or what, I, you know, I don't want to make some crazy claim. Um, but certainly I thought a lot about kind of, a, or I, I didn't even think about it. I just felt a deep sadness, um, that things like weren't right if it wasn't cold enough or kind of my attachment to the idea of a white Christmas or my image of what that would mean. And then a deeper sense, um, of, you know, like the virtue involved in being frozen for half the year and the kind of like. Um, longevity and self-protection and rituals of um, whatever that that entail um, so yeah that was that was kind of um, something that I was thinking about as you were thinking of the seasonless Christmas is also like what happens when the natural world is changing what happens to our spiritual milestones um, yeah, it was just a thought I had So, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I was thinking about, you know, of course, at, at this time of year around Christmas, um, especially for practicing uh, Christians, there's a lot of reflection on uh, Christ's role in their life, and maybe more so than other times of the year, they actually spend some time to give some real uh, reflection to uh, maybe the way they're living their lives or their the values that they... Um, try to embody from their religious beliefs and I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago and she was like you know what your zone of genius is we're, we've been having this conversation for a month about about what is genius and what is we talk about more about a zone of genius which that's part of a whole other conversation we can leave it for another episode <laughs> but next, next week on OTR yeah. <laughs> we're talking uh, how to about get the, to the zone about, of genius yeah. yeah but she said you know we were going back and forth back and forth and there's a lot of linguistic acrobatics going on and she said she goes, your zone of genius is passion. She said, you're one of the most intensely passionate human beings I know. And that manifests in all sorts of different ways. And I was reflecting just this morning, I was like writing about the root of that word, passion, which is from Latin, which is uh, that I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think pati, something of that root, which is actually suffering. And w if we're thinking about uh, Christ, the passion of the Christ, right? Um, we tend to linguistically think of the term passion as fiery or joyful or pleasurable or ebullient or something like this. But the root uh, is more related to really endurance or um, kind of to suffering. There's a deep relationship between passion and suffering. And I think that this time of the year, this time of darkness, is really about going deeply into ourselves and connecting with 
where does our willpower really come from? Does willpower come from charisma or character or some externalized thing? Or is it more about this, this passion, this ability to endure, to be with suffering of others? Um, and I think that's where community really comes into the picture is, you know, um, there's a funny saying from Ram Das, who's a spiritual teacher, where he says, if you think you're enlightened, go home for Christmas or go home for Thanksgiving, something <laughs> like that. And we all know if you spend time with family, it's usually who we love the most and who we're the most challenged by. Um, if you don't get triggered around your family, then you've arrived somewhere in your spiritual journey. Um, so I think this role of endurance and of reframing this term passion and really reflecting on it and what is willpower and um, what does it mean to endure something, these are all kind of closely related things. And I'm not trying to give you an answer to something. I'm more just planting some seeds as the spring is coming. <laughs> yes. We have to speak seasonally tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we do. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's um, so much at the root of our spirituality. You know, I told you I brought St. John of the Cross, and he talks a lot about darkness, but he talks about the dark, um, uh, the dark night of the, of, um, was it the dark night of the flesh, which is basically when we give ourselves up to, you know, self-satisfaction being the whole purpose <laughs> of our lives, and that's the beginning of our journey. And then he talks about another, the dark night of the soul, which is this transforming uh, kind of experience that also, though, is very much involved with suffering because he, he suffered a great deal. You know, his order rejected him, and they locked him in a closet for eight months and beat him so brutally that he was crippled for the rest of his life. But he's a great mystic of the Christian tradition, so when he talks about darkness, he talks about leaving my house in the middle of the night, sneaking out by the secret ladder to go and meet with my lover is also very erotic, which a lot of our a lot of our spiritual poetry is as well. And he meets with his lover in the secret when when all my house had, had was still, that mm. stillness when all my house was still. And he meets with his lover or her lover, it's all lost in the thing. I laid my head upon his breast. He touched me softly and wounded me in the neck. And and then the last line is simply, I abandoned and forgot myself, laying my face on my beloved. All things ceased. I went out of from myself, leaving my cares, forgotten among the lilies. So a mystical, ecstatic experience, but this is not just part of, you know, not just simple practice. It, it deeply comes out of the suffering that he had, um, you know, uh, dealt with. And he and Teresa of Avila were trying to reform their order, and they both got a lot of crap for it, <laughs> you know. But they're deeply, also deep, deeply mystical expressions. And a lot of Christians don't even know this exists, you know, <laughs> that there ever was a John of the Cross or any of this kind of these mystics of, uh, of our tradition that are uh, trying to do the, the practice, but also the coming to terms with the darkness of, of our experiences in life. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the, um, the word abandon, abandon, yeah. abandonment again. So mm -hmm. comes full circle. One of my, um, one of my personal traditions for the new year is to do a, a so my aunt would do a tarot reading for me, which would, we would do the full 12 seasons, uh, the full 12 months. Um, 
And one of my favorite tarot cards uh, is um, the star, which has like a double a double reading as kind of privation, loss, and abandonment, and then um, a sense of hope and new possibility and joy, which is definitely something um, that is embodied in uh, this moment of the year. Um, and in the experience of erotic connection for um, St. John, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot going on. Um, all right. Well, we are closing into the final um, moments of our show. Um, I want to offer uh, some open space on the air for um, anybody. If you have any pressing things you want to uh, share left. Well, come to our Buddhist prayer on Tuesday evenings, uh, but also we have um, um, our, our Christmas Eve service will be on the steps of the old high school. And we did this last year because of the pandemic was still, it was dangerous. And uh, so we set it all up with lights and a speaker. It's a carols and lessons and lighting the candles at the end. It's not a big liturgical thing, um, but we had about, we had over 300 people come last year that were you know, people from the community and people, tourists and things like that. Just in the sense of it's a great gathering, it's, you know, and it's only about 30 minutes long. And afterwards, we go to the church and have hot chocolate and, uh, and tell dirty jokes. Um, so uh, so come, come and be with us. It's a, it's a great community and, and everybody's welcome. It's not a, there's nothing going to be heavy about it. Yeah. Ooh, I, oh, so if you are also looking for a um, uh, a really fun way to connect with this community and uh, have some have a joyful time, you could join Telluride Theater for their production of Susan and Kevin's Office Party yeah, yeah. <laughs> Saves the World. It is going to be at the Opera House on. Uh, it opens this Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then next week the 21st 22nd and 23rd 7 p.m we have tickets available but they are going fast so please come it is adorable awesome all right i'll share one thing yeah. go ahead we're giving people options here because this yeah, is a time sure. of community yeah. right um we host at mountain gate tea house on wednesday thursday friday saturday nights at 6 30 uh, a formal tea ceremony um you know, we spent a long time in Asia studying the different forms of tea ceremony. So those are each of those nights. And then some of those nights, there are a couple of people in this community who are very well versed uh, or have actually written books on tarot. So they do readings for people at the table, which is a fun thing for folks. Don't, don't make them do all 12 months for you, though. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we'll just do call. micro readings. Yeah, yeah, we'll just do something a little more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we may, time in January, we'll be opening up for a nice lunch that's very reasonably priced for locals and uh, it's all organic healthy food and so yeah come to come yeah come to all of these events all yes. Yes. there's yeah. space for all and space sure. for reflection even if mm. you do all of them um, thank you all so much for joining me this evening um, for this off the record on the winter solstice listeners I hope you have a uh, lots of time to um, observe this season however you do it best with whatever treats and expeditions you have planned um, and yeah stick uh, stay tuned into Kodo because there's always good stuff happening here 
Um, and really, truly, once again, thank you all for being here. Thanks um, for the invitation. Thank you. Everybody have a good night out there.